the Bible as a whole gives us great instructions for daily living. Amen? And today, we're going to look at three specific qualities that help us to identify what it means to be a true Christian. So, chapter 12, verse 11 is where we're at. We're only going to do verse 11 today because there's so much just in this little verse here. And verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. First, we want to say thank you, God, for giving you your word, for giving us something to cling on to, something to learn from, something that can be applied to our lives. So help us to apply this message today as you speak to us. In Jesus' name. So never be lacking in zeal. You're like, that's a phrase we don't use a whole lot. My uh, English Standard Version says, do not be slothful in zeal. Slothful. We kind of know what slothful is, right? It's, uh, it's about the animal, the sloth, the tree sloth, right? Well, did you know that the sloth is considered to be one of nature's slowest animals? The modern sloth is usually around the size of a medium-sized dog, maybe just a little bigger than Chachi, all right? And uh, they generally travel no more than 125 feet in a single day, 125 feet, but would you estimate, Tim, that how, how long do you think the wide this is here? About 100 feet, maybe? Close to it? So it would go from that wall to that wall in the course of a day. Yeah. And on a rare occasion that they find themselves at ground level, they can crawl about a foot per minute. That's slow. That is slow, isn't it? You ever heard the joke about the sloth that crossed the road? It's too long. Never mind. We won't get into it. Yeah, it'd take too long. Yeah. So the word says, do not be slothful in zeal. The New American Standard Version says, uh, not lagging behind in diligence. New Living Translation says, never be lazy. Right? It puts it right out there. Don't be lazy. To not be slothful means to be diligent or have a sense of urgency. So what does it mean to be diligent? Because there's a lot of these words being thrown around and we've heard them, we're familiar with them, but do we really break the word down and think about how it applies to this? Diligence is described as characterized by steady, earnest, and energetic effort. Like Connor when he's working. When he's sweeping, he's sweeping like it's nobody's business, right? You got that big push broom. You like sweeping with that, don't you, buddy? But he's given that energetic effort, and it's constant because he wants to get the whole floor swept, right? In other words, give your every effort to do your best. Full and immediate effort. It's like it's on call, it's ready to go, and it's, it's in your eagerness to do something. Sometimes we're like, you know what, the alarm goes off, my eagerness to get out of bed is not quite where it should be some days. But God's Word says that in everything, we're supposed to be diligent in that. Always being ready to expend energy and effort. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Or it's worth doing with excellence. Right? So scripture says not to be slothful in zeal. Zeal is described as this. It's using great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of or a cause or an objective. For the deer hunters in the room, it's that pursuit it's the constant pursuit, and it's that enthusiasm that they have for it. Because I know I don't, I have patience, but sitting up in a tree stand all day long, now getting along with God, that's a good thing. But in the pursuit of just trying to wait for that deer to come by, God did not wire me that way. But some people, he did. 
And so they have that pursuit of a cause or an objective. You know, when, a, when, a, when an officer of the law is in hot pursuit, that means they've got an objective that they're following. They're keeping their eyes on it. He turns left, I turn left. He turns right, I turn right. That's the way we're supposed to be with Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be in pursuit of that. And if he turns left, we turn left. You turns right, we turn right. He stops, we stop. Norman Vincent Peale, he talks about procrastination. In other words, this is really saying don't procrastinate. Don't just sit and wait. Sometimes it does wait, but God will tell us that. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But don't procrastinate. Norman Vincent Peale, famous author, said, if you put off everything till you're sure of it, you'll never get anything done. Right? Right? Benjamin Franklin, he says, uh, you may delay, you may hold up, but time will not. And lost time is never found again. There's another minute you're never going to get back. Thomas Jefferson says, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today, right? And British actor and comedian Christopher Parker said, procrastination is like a credit card. It's a lot of fun until you get the bill, right? (laughs) Many people are hurting and dying every day without Jesus. Why are we waiting to tell them about him? It's our job to show him his love and to point them to him. We're called to make disciples, to help them learn how to do that, and so they can teach others. That's what Jesus told us in the Great Commission. He said, go out and do this. I've showed you how to do these things. Now you go and teach others how to do it and teach them how to teach others to do it, right? But you say, I don't really know how to do that, and that makes me uncomfortable. Some people are uncomfortable with praying with people who pull up in their car at our grocery giveaway. But you know what? You get over that the first time that you realize when you prayed with that person, they left with tears in their eyes because someone took the time to say that they mattered. And what mattered to them mattered to us for a moment. We don't get that so much in our, in our uh, digital world to where there's not really much contact with people like it used to be. But we're called to make disciples. And we can't do that if we don't help show somebody how it's supposed to be done. So when I'm comfortable, I'll get around to it doesn't really work. When you recognize the fate of others because no one has told them about Jesus, that should make you more uncomfortable than not knowing what to say or how to do it. Remember this. You say, I don't like change. When the, when the comfort of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, you'll do something about it. Let me say that again. When the comfort of staying the same, not changing, not doing anything to better yourself or better anyone else, is greater than the pain of change, in other words, I'm not afraid of change anymore because I realize this other thing is more important, then I'll do something about it. But we have to use discernment. We have a saying around our place, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Okay? Discernment means we have to discern, we have to determine if it's right. Is it right now? Is it right, but not right now? Is it wrong? Should we not be doing this? Or, you know, God will let us go ahead and do this, and he'll even bless us. But is it really what I'm supposed to be doing right now? Just because you can doesn't mean you should all the time. But you've got to have that sense of urgency for things that matter, Right? Too much time spent on things that don't matter. I love watching cartoons. Baylor and I can watch 80s cartoons until the cows come home, and we don't even know. We got donkeys. We don't have cows, right, over in the field there, till the donkeys come home. But is that really something that's going to matter over time? Yeah, it helps me relax sometimes, and it makes me feel like a kid. <sighs> but does it really, really matter? <clears throat> A 
farm boy accidentally overturned his wagon load of corn in the road one day, and the farmer who lived nearby came out to investigate. Hey, Willis, he called out. Forget your troubles for a spell and come on in and have some supper with us. Then I'll help you get the wagon up. Well, that's mighty mighty nice of you, Willis said. But I don't think Paul would like me to do that. He said, come on, son, the farmer insisted. Well, okay, the boy finally agreed. And says, but Paul won't like it. After a hearty dinner, Willis thanked his host. He says, I feel a lot better now, but I just know Paul is going to be real upset. He said, don't be foolish, the neighbor said. By the way, where is your pa? Willis said, he's under the wagon. (laughs) He didn't spend time doing the things on the things that mattered. Sounded good to go get something to eat, but there was something more urgent underneath the wagon, right? So spend it doing something that has eternal significance. You know, we always had a saying years ago, you want to be a world changer, They may still say it, I just don't hear it as loud as we used to. Where are all the world changers? Where are they? There used to be a whole generation of people that were growing up and say, I want to change the world. And right now with all the things that are going on in the world, have we just thrown our hands up and say, well, pandemic 2020, still going in 2021, not much I can do about it. Things going on in Israel right now, I don't know, I can't really change any of that. Well, don't look at those things right over there, look right in front of you. You might got family that's really spiraling downward and they don't even know it. I personally went through that back in the 90s. I was in the middle in the eye of the storm. All of my life was swirling around me, but you know how they say in the eye of the storm, everything's calm. I wasn't able to see all the other stuff that was going on in my life that I needed to make a change, but my family did and I was so thankful for that. So if you see somebody that's having that turbulence in their life, but they're not aware of what's going on, maybe you can say, hey, can I talk to you? And just ask them how you can help. They might not even know they need help. Be a friend. Be a cousin. Be a brother. Be a sister. Whatever it is. So we said we were going to talk about ways that you could spot the true Christian. We're going to do three of them. So here's the first one. The first way you can spot a true Christian is they spend more time on things that have an eternal impact. You say, well, what are those things? Well, reading your Bible. That'll have an eternal impact. If it doesn't have an impact on anybody but you, it's already doing what it's supposed to do. But see, it's hard to get this word into us to not want to share it because you, you overflow with what you're filled with. And if I'm filled with cartoons and trivia about all that kind of stuff, I might be okay on a game show if it deals with that. But I'm not going to be good to anybody's eternal significance for them to spend an eternity in hell or to spend an eternity with God. Because those are the two choices. We don't get to spend it on an island with an unlimited supply of whatever it is that we like to munch on. That's not, that's not how it works. So we spend more time on things that have eternal impact. Never be lacking in zeal, verse 11 says, but keep your spiritual fervor. Let's look at that phrase, keep your spiritual fervor. One version uh, says, keep your spiritual fervor. Another says, be fervent in spirit. That's what most of the translations say. And the, uh, the CEV, it says, eagerly follow the Holy Spirit. I like that. That puts it out there plain. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be never lacking in zeal. We're also supposed to be pursuing after the Holy Spirit with all we've got. Now, that word fervent in the Greek is the word zeo, Z-E-O. And it describes the sound of boiling water. Isn't that funny? 
to use a word in there that describes the sound of boiling water. What's that sound that boiling water makes? It's actually got a term. Do you know what it's called? I looked it up. It's called burble. 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 Because it makes the sound of burble, 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 burble. You know, if you could say it that many times, that's kind of a hard one. It's three times fast. Burble, burble, burble. I can't even do it. But it's, that's the sound of boiling water. Let me ask you a question. How long does boiling water make that noise? Anybody? How long? What? As long as it's got heat. As long as the fire stays hot, the water keeps boiling. It keeps burbling, right? It keeps that zeo stays in there, that intensity, that fervency. The Amplified Version says to be aglow in the spirit in this part right here. And that talks about, that's like a fire, keeping that fire hot. If you put the fire out, guess what happens to that boiling water? It's going to get cold, isn't it? That's the way our spirit is. We get cold on the inside when we're no longer stoking that fire. How do we stoke that fire? We get into God's word. We read. We learn. We allow him to speak to us. We pray. We pray with others. We spend time with others, even if we're not reading the Bible or praying. Spending time together in fellowship with somebody who is walking with Jesus really helps us to stoke that fire, doesn't it? Because all of a sudden you realize, oh man, my son Brett, he knows more scripture than I do. He just spouts it right off the top of his head. I'm not a real good memorizer. But you know what? When he comes and he speaks, it just comes out. Because that's just the way he is. Because he spends time in the Word. I want to spend time with people who make me feel like encouraged. I used to see a guitar players on, on TV or in concert, and they would just be tearing it up, just shredding it. And I'm like, I'm nowhere even near that level of playing. And it used to be, I'd say, I just want to quit. I just want to sell my guitar and be done with it. But then I realized, you know what? If I can be inspired by that and want to learn more, then I will become a better guitar player or I'll become a better preacher or a better singer or whatever it is. Be inspired by something. Latch onto that and say, how can I become better at this? So how can I become a better true Christian? Well, by being on fire, by stoking that fire and not letting the flame go out. In the Old Testament... The priests were told to keep the fire on the altar night and day, 24-7. They couldn't let the fire on the altar go out. We're supposed to have that fire burning in us. But it's up to us. God's not going to say, hey, Tim, you're lacking a little this week, so let me give you a little light there. Let me light you up. He doesn't do that. Because Holy Spirit, as the Word says, is a gentleman. Now, He'll tell us, hey, you're not glowing as bright as you used to be. Maybe we could work on that together. And when you realize it and recognize it, you're like, all right, I can do that. I can get better. But fervent, it's an adjective describing something that exhibits a passionate intensity. A fire that's burning off bright puts off great intensity. It puts off energy and heat. You ever just sit, I remember sitting at the bonfire at Bob and Jamie's uh, at 4th of July and just sitting there and watching that fire. There was, an, a, there was an intensity in that fire that it would just burn and glow. But guess what? It kept the guys busy throwing more logs on the fire and more wood, wasn't it? We had to keep putting wood on the fire for that fuel to keep it going. But when it was going, man, you couldn't get too close sometimes. In fact, I remember Brett trying to toast a marshmallow and having to crawl in commando style on the ground just so he could get up underneath where the flames were at because it was so hot. You remember that? That's the way it is. But it's a passionate intensity but it can lose that intensity. So, let's recap. We need to have an intense zeal and be full of passion. 
To be deeply committed and to be intentional about that. Stoking that fire, right? That zeal, we're going back to it, that great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. In this particular case, to keep your spiritual fervor means to be in the continual process of being deeply committed and passionate about seeking the Lord and becoming more like Him. All right? It's a continual, ongoing process. Don't let the fire go out. I mean, have you ever met somebody who is so passionate about something that it's all they can talk about? It's all they can talk about. It's like they eat, sleep, and breathe it. Whatever it is, they're just so passionate. It's what many would call an obsession, to be so passionately engaged in the pursuit of something that they desire. So let me ask you, what is it that you desire? No wrong answers here. What is it that you desire? Do you have a desire? Have you realized that maybe I, I, you know, I don't really desire much? I could say on one hand, God's taken care of all my needs, so I don't desire, like need something, want something. On the other side of it is I don't have any desire to really do much of anything. Well, maybe we need to check the fire, check the intensity. Is it burning bright or is that flame going down? Do you desire just to make it to the end of the week so maybe you can get a better start on next week? Some people hope they can make it through the end of the month with just enough money. Most people find there's more month at the end than there is money, right? Or are you following the wisdom of Colossians 3, verse 2? Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Makes it a lot easier when we're not focused on those other things that distract us and take us away. I mean, I remember the song. You guys remember this song. If you remember, sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In the light of his glory and grace, when we turn our eyes and we focus on him, all the things of this world seem to grow dim in comparison. Because I guarantee you that when we get to heaven, then that day, we're not going to be thinking about all the things we wish we would have done while we were here. Because His glory is going to be so intense that we're just going to be passionately pursuing and wanting to be around that all the time. We sang a song this morning about God's Shekinah glory. Let your glory come down. Some say that if His glory really did come down, we wouldn't be able to stand it because in the presence of holiness, sin cannot exist. And sometimes we're carrying stuff with us that would make us exempt of being able to be in His presence in that way. So we need to ask Him to use that fire to burn those things out. Take those desires that are not from Him out and give me your desires. Let's go back to that word desire. Let's look at it for a second. The very word itself, desire, has a, a sacredness about its essence, if you think about it. The word desire, in two parts, desire, comes from the Latin meaning of the father. You think of a sire as a father, okay? Of the father, to say, it is of God that our desire springs forth from. Where does our desire come from? It comes from God. And in that, there's a sacred aspect to our lives and to our desires. 
Desire is deep love expressed. When you're in love with somebody, you're like, I just desire to be around them all the time. I want to be with them night and day, 24-7, can't be separated. You know, when you first meet, that's the way we are in our relationships. You can't take me away from that person. And then when you are away from them, you can't wait till you get back together again. You should have that desire in your relationship with your spouse or with your significant other or whatever it is with your family. But more importantly, that desire to have that with God. You see, what happens is we do something, we slip up, we sin, we do whatever, we do something and it makes us feel shameful. And then the devil works on that shame and makes us feel like, you know what, you can't go into God's presence because you're looking like a mess right now. You're a real mess. God's not going to bring you back into his company. He's not going to let you walk in the room. He's not going to spend time with you because he wants to spend time with people that are perfect. He wants to spend time with people that are holy. He wants to spend time with people who are more like him. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell because God will welcome us back when our hearts say God I've done something it's me again here I am but I want to I want to make it right with you and me that repentance turning and changing our thoughts changing our thinking and saying I don't want to keep thinking about these things God I want to think about the things you think about I want to think about what you'd have me do I want to do things the way you want me to do them that's called repentance And then we say, God, I repent for this or for whatever it is. And he says, all right, it's done. It's forgotten. As far away as the east is from the west. Where is that? Where do those two points meet? I don't know. But it says that's where he says he casts the sea into the sea of forgetfulness. And you say, God, I'm sorry about that thing. You know, and he's like, what thing? I already forgot about that. Unless you're doing it again. But when you are, don't be afraid. We get shameful. We get prideful. And we say, well... God's not going to take me back for this one. This one's pretty bad. I said some things I probably shouldn't have. And no, you know what? He's going to take you back. Just don't keep doing that same thing knowing he's going to take you back every time. Don't test him that way. But he will be faithful. Desire is one of life's strongest emotions. You think about that. It stresses the strength of feeling and often implies strong intention or aim. I desire to be with my wife. I have a strong intention to want to be where she is or to have her where I am. And I'm going to make that my aim, my goal. I'm going to shoot at the target. I'm saying I want to hit the bullseye on this one. I make it my intention to do that. Our desires, they fuel our actions. Think about that. The things you think about are the things we talk about. And the things we talk about often become the things that we start doing because that's what we're interested in. Our desires fuel our actions. This ability now was given to us by God to pull us toward himself and his ways. But they're also exploited by the enemy, by the devil, to draw us away from God. So how do we avoid that? How do we avoid that? Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Huh. We said earlier that the Bible is full of instructions to help us on our daily thing. Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And the desires of our heart will come from God when, not if, we delight ourselves in Him. If we're not delighting ourselves in Him, in other words, we're not saying, God, you're powerful, you're awesome, you're beautiful, you're, you're, you're faithful. All these characteristics that we describe and know about God through His Word and through the experience that we've had so far in this human existence. If we deny all those things and we're not delighting ourselves in Him, then uh, He's not going to influence our desires either. 
We're going to want what we want instead of what He wants. So there are right and wrong desires, which are from Him, which are from us. And how do we know? So I'm going to give you three little subset things inside of these big three that we're doing, okay? Here's three ways to know if your desires are His or our own. The first one, they're in His Word. Now this seems obvious and simple to some, but the fact is many Christians don't consider this when making a decision. There are times when you need to inquire of God to talk to Him about it, and others when you don't because He's already given the answer. It's in His Word. He says, thou shalt not kill. I feel like killing somebody today, God. Well, it's right there. Exodus 20. <laughs> Don't do it. Okay, well, those are the well-defined ones. Those are easy to read. What about the more subtle ones? Well, 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us that we are to rightly divide the Word of God, which means to handle it correctly, to consider every verse in its context, and in comparison to other verses in the Bible. In other words, are there other places where it talks about murder in the Bible? Sure. Well, let's compare and let's see what it says there. That's why it's important to remember that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. 1 John 5, 14. He hears us if we're asking according to His will. But not everything is God's will. And the only way to find out if the desires of our hearts line up with His word is to study the Scriptures and find out. Right? Here's a few examples of desires that maybe we've had in scriptures that help support that. I would like to own a home and a car and have plenty left over to be a blessing to others. That sounds like a pretty good one, doesn't it? Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Whatever he does shall prosper. God wants us to be a blessing to others, doesn't he? Now, if you were to say, I want to have a home and a car and a boat, some jet skis, and I'd like to have maybe a, a Harley. Oh, I need a three-car garage because i got a couple of other hot rods in mind that I want to stick in there and work on. And, and oh, I want to make sure I have this and I have that. And oh, the house has to be in a specific place. And see, that's not really what God's talking about. But if you're saying, I want a 10-bedroom house out on a ranch somewhere so that we can invite other people who are hurting and broken in their lives to come and be ministered to, I'd say God is probably going to help you accomplish that. Because it's the motives of our heart to accomplish His desires and His will. You see, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and He adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 10.22 Maybe you say, I desire to have a spouse and children. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. How about this one? I'd like to use credit cards to buy what I want so I don't have to wait. <laughs> Romans 13.8 says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another. Right. Now, this credit card thing, that's different than saying, uh, I need to finance this ranch to where I can bring these hurting people or kids or whatever it is that you want to do with that. That's a little different because it's the intention of what you're wanting to do with it. So it's going to be easy to know if the desires of your heart are God's will when you know the Word. Many of our desires have already been addressed in the Bible. However, if your desire isn't specifically addressed in His Word, it might require this next point. Number two, you heard from God. You heard it from Him. In many cases concerning His will, we need to hear from Him directly before taking a faith stand for something and believing Him to deliver the, God, the desires of our heart into our hands. Here's an example. Maybe uh, your specific career path 
or the person you should marry. Now, on the surface, those seem like, you know, that's totally fine. But if your specific career path is being a stumbling block and putting sin in, the, in, in everybody else's way, it's probably not a good career path. Or the person that you should marry, you're a good Bible-believing, attending, faith-filled person, but the one that you're really interested in is not. In fact, they say going to church is for sissies. I don't really believe in that God stuff. Well, I believe God there exists, but, 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 you know what I'm saying? Jesus talked about that. That's what's being unequally yoked with somebody. Oh, you may love this person because they qualify in other ways, like by your eyes, by your ears, things you hear, the things they say to you, or the things you see because you think that's beautiful or that's what excites you, or they know just how to push your buttons to make you feel all right. But that's not what God says we really need to be using as our qualifier for these things. I spoke to a young man the other day, prayed with him after he worked on our internet here. And he had a, he had a challenging situation. He had been in a 12-year relationship, not married, 12 years, and it came to an end. And he was really struggling with this. He said, she left for another man. Do I wait for her to come back? I said, well, are you praying for her? Is she a believer? No, not really. Which answers the question why she just took up and left. I said, well, you, you, you probably need to pray for her, not for her to come back, but for her to see God in a different way, to see him as her heavenly father, to see him the way you see him, and for her to have people come around her that just pummel her with the word and with prayer and with kindness and with love. And maybe, maybe if God wants you to be back together, he'll bring that together. I can't say, but we can't pray to, for God to change somebody except how they change, how they see him. Then it all, it starts to come around. So that person that we should marry, then it becomes a little more of that qualifier. But in these cases, you can't know if it's God's will until you have really heard from him. The more time you spend in God's word, the quicker you'll recognize his voice and hear from him regarding your heart's desires. If you're not hearing from him, it's probably because you don't recognize his voice. He says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. In other words, they know, they recognize him, right? We can't recognize his voice if we don't know the things that he says. And a lot of times when your heart's desire and God's will for you require that you depend on him. So spend time in prayer, ask him to reveal his will, and, and then have ears to hear. Make yourself willing and ready to listen. He might even send somebody to give you a word in due season. Somebody who comes along and confirms that. Have you ever had that happen? You're like, I was just thinking about this very thing. I was praying to God, and here you are talking to me about it today. This just really helps me with this situation. Or maybe you have peace in your heart from the Holy Spirit about a situation. That's how you know that God has been talking to you. When in doubt, wait. Don't get ahead of God. And being in His will is the safest place that we can be. Right? Right? The third way that we can know if it's our will or his will, if you're in God's will in other areas of your life. If you're seeking God's will in a particular area of your life, one thing can hinder the answer, being out of his will in another area of your life. If you're looking for direction or guidance in your finances, but you're busy disobeying his word by refusing to forgive somebody, for example, then you may miss his instructions because you aren't in tune with his voice. If you can clearly hear his correction and his rebuke, meaning when you messed up, then you'll be able to clearly hear his answers to your questions as well. So if you need to get something right with him, get it right in that area so that we can get back to being able to hear his voice. 
and make it a point to get in line with God's Word in every area of our life. Then when you need an answer as to which way you need to go, you'll be tuned in, you'll hear His answer loud and clear. So those three things, look to the Word, you'll hear from God, and stay in His will in other areas in our life. The closer you get to Him, the more your desires will line up with His. And no matter what you're seeking, know this, God's will is for you, for wholeness and abundance, spirit, soul, and body. He wants to take care of every part of our lives. He cares about us. So the big three that we're talking about today, the number two way that you can identify the true Christian is they desire what God wants and go after it passionately. All right, so now that we've taken these steps to know if our desires are lining up with His, we can fervently move forward, as verse 11 says, with intense zeal, being passionately committed to following Him. Let me give you an example of what this might look like, this fervent. One day, D.L. Moody, was a, he's a minister, pastor, teacher, author in the Chicago area, started a great movement. There's a Bible institute up in Chicago named after him. He saw a steel engraving that he liked very much. He thought it was the finest thing he'd ever seen at the time, and he bought it. It was a picture of a woman coming up out of the water and clinging with both arms to the cross. There she came, out of the drowning waters, with both arms around the cross, perfectly safe, rescued. Afterwards, he saw another picture that spoiled this one for him entirely. It was so much more beautiful, he thought. It was a picture of a person coming up out of the dark waters with one arm clinging to the cross and with the other she was lifting someone else out of the waves. Imagine that picture. One arm clinging to the cross and helping someone else out at the same time. He said, that's what I like. Keep a firm hold upon the cross, but always try to rescue another from the drowning. This is a perfect picture of someone who has intense zeal and full of passion deeply committed to something, they're intentional about saving someone else and holding on like it matters because it does. And this clearly lines up with God's desire, as he says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that none should perish. You in God's will by holding on with one arm and helping somebody else? Of course you are. So let's take a look at Romans 12, 11 one last time. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So we're told how we should be serving the Lord. If we look at the first part of the verse, never lacking in zeal, having energy, always being ready, being on fire, keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. These are things that we can do this, but how do we be on fire? Keep stoking it, keep that fire hot, be ready and willing to serve as a slave, giving over the right to be self-governed. That's what it means to follow Him. Not my will, but Thy will be done. Jesus gave us the perfect example of that. There were things that He wanted. He said, let this cup pass from me if it be Your will. He says, but not my will, but Your will, Father. When we can come to the terms with that and say, that's what I want, then we're really going to be that. So the third and final way you can identify the true Christian is they're ready and willing to serve with a passion and fire. All right, so the three here, they spend more time on things that have eternal impact. We desire what God wants and we go after it passionately. And we're ready and willing to serve with that same passion and fire. Now I want to caution you as we conclude here. The legalist in us 
sees a list like this and we'll try to check things off. Yep, done that, done that, okay, yep, I'm doing that, okay, I'm reading the Bible, I'm praying, Uh uh-huh, okay. And we'll try to accomplish these things out of sheer discipline, like a to-do list. This is not a Christian to-do list. It's a list for guidance, but it's a guidance for every day, not just a to-do list and then turn the page and start a new list. We're supposed to be doing these things continually because doing things like that will only lead to more disappointment when we fail. We don't get through the list. You ever had a to-do list that's got 10 boxes and you only got through three of them because that's all the day really allowed? Do you carry those seven over to tomorrow? Jesus said tomorrow is going to have enough worries of its own. Okay, all right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry these seven over. Well, I've got five more things I need to do today, Jesus. So there's those five plus the seven I didn't get done from yesterday. There's 12. Okay, well, I only got through four of them, so that leaves me eight. So I'm bringing eight over here to the next day, and he's got six things. That's 14. The list never seems to get smaller, does it? So we can get disappointed real easy if we try to see it as a checklist. So don't see it like that. Or maybe we feel like there's that self-righteousness when we have that apparent victory. Yes, I checked off all the boxes today. I'm so good. I'm, I'm awesome, right? Instead, we should ask God, plead with God to continue the work in our hearts through the Word and the Spirit, especially when we fail. Say, it's not by my strength, but it's by yours. That's how we can get through those things. Only He can change us from within. When we talked about the, uh, if we've been deceived about our salvation, thinking I got it all covered, I prayed at the altar nine years ago, and you know what, Uh, yeah, I'll probably go to heaven, yeah. No, that's not what it's about. It's about an ongoing relationship with Him. It's not about a decision that you made at an altar at one point in time. Unless, of course, that decision drives you every day to continue to pursue with excellence and fire to follow after Him. You see, we got to remember where we came from. People who went through the Great Depression, they lived with that throughout their lives. Our grandparents and some that are a, a little older than that, they had things that they, they depended on and went through that. So when they got through that depression, they said, we can no longer totally live our lives the same. 9-11 changed that for this generation. Go through an airport and see how quick you can get through. It changed everything. Can't even take toenail clippers with you on the plane. Considered a deadly weapon. Yeah, pack it in your suitcase. That's all you can do. Don't put it in your carry-on. What about 2020? It's changed a lot of things for a lot of people, hasn't it? You know, I saw some guys yesterday in the music store. They wanted to hug each other because they hadn't seen each other so long. And he's like, okay, let's just do this. He said, that's so uncomfortable. I just don't, I can't get over over the fact that I can't just grab somebody's hand, shake them and hug them and love on them. It's changed that mindset for a lot of people. So it changes the way in which we approach other people. You ever try to pray for somebody in public? Ask them. Normally it's okay to ask them even though, but sometimes you can just lay a hand on a shoulder and pray for somebody and nobody even thinks a thing about it. But if you go to lay a hand on them and then they're they're like, I don't know what, what you've been touching. You know, it's just your shoulder, but okay, I understand. I respect that. But it's like that, isn't it? We have to think about those things. It has changed a lot of stuff. But if we've been deceived about our salvation in that way, God can help us to make it right. He can reveal that to us, and He gives us an opportunity to make that right and to come totally dependent upon Him. We can't force delight in God. In other words, I can't like uh, goat's cheese 
because I really don't like it. I can't like it any better by saying, if I just, I'll just like it. Uh, if I just tell myself I'll like it, that will happen. No, because as soon as I get close to it and I smell it again, I think about that old goat that we used to have when I was a kid that smelled exactly like that cheese does. You know, I'm just saying, there are things that if you're not really attracted to that, it's going to be hard. So we can't force delight on God, in God. But God can give us a glimpse of who He is, and that leaves us longing for more. We can't make ourselves hunger for righteousness, because Jesus said in the Sermon uh, on the Mount that those who thirst and hunger for righteousness will be what? Filled. But we can't force ourselves to do that. But when we truly, truly come face to face with God and understand who He is, we'll want to be more like Him. And as we behold God's holiness, we'll walk in repentance. We'll walk with a changed mindset. And as we experience God's love for us in our lives, then we'll extend that same love to our neighbor, right? Because Jesus said, they said, what are the two greatest commands? He said, love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So we'll love them that way. And as we bask in the glory of God that we've asked for, then we'll long to display works that are honoring and pleasing to Him. I don't want Baylor to clean her room because she fears that she'll get in trouble if she doesn't. I want her to clean her room because the Bible says to honor your mother and your father. And if we're trying to train her up in, in the ways that she should know about later when she's growing older, we want her to learn it now. And I want her to do it because she loves us, not because she's in fear of getting in trouble. See, that's the way a lot of people see God. They say, well, I would like to, but God's not going to love me in the place where I'm at right now because I've said and done a lot of things. But if we're getting right with Him, we're walking after the Spirit, then we'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. Do you see these marks in your life? Do you see any of these things happening in your life? Lord, may none of us be like Judas who was so close to you and yet ended in destruction. God, forgive us if we spend our lives going to church only to hear on that day, depart from me, I never knew you. And no matter where you find yourself today, there's grace and mercy available at the cross. Amen? We know that because he's faithful. So as we close, would you, if you're able to stand, let's just stand as we pray. God, we're so thankful that in your word we're given this instruction for how we can learn to be more like you. And if we're not more like you, would you make us more like you? You don't force yourself on us, but show us, lead us, guide us, give us that gentle correction that you're so good at to help us to understand which way we should be going. And God, if it's love that we're lacking in our lives, would you just shower your love on us right now? Fill us with your spirit to the point where we just know that, God, that you're with us, that you care about us. We want to do things that are honoring and pleasing to you. And God, first and foremost, we just want to be able to stand on that day and for you to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. we need to make it right with you help us to do that today God if we need to ask somebody to come alongside us and agree in prayer as we're here today hanging out whatever we need to do afterwards that God you would just give us the confidence to know that we can ask so Jesus we thank you for meeting with us here today 
Holy Spirit, we thank you for leading and guiding us as we continue on from this place. And God, we are so thankful to have a Father like you that cares about us the way that you do. We thank you. We bless your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.